Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. How did you find Unitarian Universalism? That's a question that I hear a lot in my travels, visiting UU congregations and gatherings of ministers across North America. Often when two UUs meet for the first time, it's the question that they ask. How did you find Unitarian Universalism? Of course, it's a bit of a presumptuous question. It assumes that it was you who found this community and not your parents or your grandparents, and you were just brought along for it. But this question is part of a common narrative. Now, a narrative is just a fancy word that means a story that we tell. And a common narrative is a story that tends to get told in a similar way by people who are part of the same community. So when UUs get together, even when they're from different parts of the country, they tend to answer this question in some similar ways. I often hear, for example, I found Unitarian Universalism when my children were starting to ask questions about God and telling me things that their friends had told them about God, and I wanted to bring them to a place where they could learn about some alternatives. Or I found Unitarian Universalism when I was in college or when I was a young adult and I was starting to doubt and question the religion that I was brought up with, and so I went out seeking some new answers. Or I found Unitarian Universalism when I was really passionate about a social justice issue and I wanted to do some volunteer work and the group that I joined had their meetings in a classroom held at a UU church. So I'm going to come back to this common narrative a little later, but first I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself and how I've spent the past two years. It's a good thing that I like to travel because working for the UU Ministers Association means that I spend a lot of time away from home. Even though I live in the Boston area, the UUMA as it's called, it isn't located anywhere. We have four staff who live in New York, North Carolina, and Massachusetts, and our meetings take place over email, video conference, and whenever we all happen to be in the same airport, hotel, or conference center. Since this September, my work, which is to coordinate continuing education programs for my colleagues, UU ministers, has taken me to places like Columbus, Ohio, Durham, North Carolina, Providence, Rhode Island, Chicago, Illinois, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Washington, DC, Atlanta, Georgia, New York, and Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm excited that we have guests here from All Souls Tulsa and All Souls New York because those were two churches where I got to spend some time this year. I sometimes tell people that my office is in the cloud, which (laughs) means that it takes place largely on the internet, but actually in my case it's often literally true. 
being up in the cloud has given me a bit of a bird's eye perspective about the Unitarian Universalist movement that I think is a bit unique. And so as I approach two years in this position, I've been trying to make sense of everything that I've seen and what it says about us, where we're headed, and who we are as a religion. And I say the word religion knowing intentionally and knowing that it's a term that is not always popular in UU congregations. More times than I wish to count, I've been part of a conversation amongst UUs about what our community means to us, and the conversation has gotten sidelined, or at least you know, temporarily distracted by a, a discussion, a semantics debate about whether we should use this word, religion or religious, to describe ourselves. And I understand why. Religion is not a popular concept amongst progressive people today. Six years ago, I had the great fortune to be able to take a two-week-long acting workshop in Spain. There were about a dozen other students there with me, and I was the only American. I was also the only minister, or ministry student, as it were. The others were artists, writers, and teachers, and of course actors from around Western Europe. One evening late into the program, uh, a man from England started up a conversation with me and he asked me about my profession. I explained to him that I was going to seminary to become a minister. He looked at me with a rather pained expression like he was really struggling to find the right words to say next. And he said, I guess I just don't understand. You seem to me like someone who's smart <laughs> and liberal and who's driven to make a difference. I, I, I just don't understand why you wouldn't choose a career where you could do some good in the world. <laughs> And he was very sincere. I, I, I've thought a bit about that interaction since then. You know, was I really you know, putting all of my eggs in this ministry basket? <laughs> Is that the right path to take? I told myself that you know, there was a cultural misunderstanding going on. You see, in Western Europe, a lot of people, especially young people, the only religion they're exposed to is big, hierarchical, institutional religion like Catholicism and the Anglican Church. And, Many of them view those institutions as becoming increasingly out of touch with their lives. However, when I tell people this side of the Atlantic that I'm a UU minister, the responses I get aren't always much better. Again and again, I'm confronted with this view that my vocation, my faith, is an impossible one, that being smart being progressive and wanting to make a difference in the world is somehow incompatible with being religious. And very often when I'm in a situation like that, I'm tempted to backtrack. I'm tempted to explain myself saying, oh, you don't understand. I'm not religious. I'm a Unitarian Universalist. <laughs> And we're more of a, you know, a community of free thinkers. We're a group of people who have shared values, who act on those values together. Or, you know, one of those complicated phrases that we use when we're trying to avoid simply saying that we are a progressive religion. 
but I usually resist that urge and instead attempt the much more complicated explanation of telling people that, you know, in fact, there, there are progressive, open-minded, non-dogmatic religions. We have a long history, but I don't usually get to tell that history because the person I'm talking to has already dismissed me as an oxymoron and gone off to talk to someone whose identity makes more sense to them. So why don't I just give up then on this concept of religion? Why don't I stick with terms that are more palatable to the non-UUs and the non-religious people that I often hang out with? I guess I'm just not so willing to admit defeat. You see, the concept of religion is a powerful one. Being religious connotes having moral conviction, having spiritual depth, and being part of an engaged community that stands together for something. And that's a power that can get things done. And that's a power that influences popular culture that impacts public policies, and that can rouse a whole lot of people to speak up when an injustice occurs. There's a reason why UU clergy who often dress informally in their own congregations will wear clergy collars when they go to protests. It's because the symbolism of religion has powerful and even positive associations. And for that very same reason, there have been groups throughout history, ideologies and communities, that have strove to monopolize that concept of religion, to be the only ones who can claim legitimately that that is their power. During the past three decades in the United States, the group that's often referred to as the religious right has been tremendously successful in that respect. They may not have been successful in all of their goals. They may not have been successful at stopping the tide of progressive cultural transformations that are increasingly making this country a safer place to be if your identity is not one that has been welcome everywhere in the past. But they have succeeded in one major cultural transformation. They have successfully changed what the word religion means to most people here and even around the world. Today, ordinary mainstream people have come to believe that religion is synonymous with social conservatism, theological fundamentalism, and authoritarian power structures. In other words, they've successfully changed the common narrative about religion in this country. And because today so many young people are growing up unchurched, that means they're growing up without you know, any religious community of their own, there's no reason for people not to believe that this story of religion isn't the true one. Unfortunately, though, when we define religion so narrowly, there are people who get left out of that story. There's people who get written out of history. What about, for example, progressive Catholics? I think about Dorothy Day. She was one of the founders of the Catholic Workers' Movement in the 1930s, which combined direct aid for the poor and homeless with nonviolent action on their behalf. Today, Catholic worker houses still exist. One is just down the street. It's called Haley House, and they feed and house the homeless. She was a socialist and a social reformer, 
and she wrote in her autobiography, The Long Loneliness, I really only loved God as much as I love the person I love the least. And of course, this narrow definition of religion leaves out Unitarian Universalists. And not just you use today, but you use throughout history who struggled and sacrificed and sometimes even died so that their beliefs could be recognized. I think about martyrs like Francis David, who's the founder of the Unitarian Church in Transylvania in the 1500s, who believed in using reason to interpret the Bible. In 1572, a new ruler came to power and tried to stamp out these new religious institutions. David was tried as an innovator, and he ended up dying in prison. However, the Unitarian religion that he founded still continues to thrive today, and it's a bastion of progressive belief and deep faith in Romania and Eastern Europe. And speaking of the Transylvanian Unitarians, I had an experience just last month that has profoundly changed how I think about UUism. I attended the gathering of the International Council for Unitarian Universalists in New York. There I met Unitarians and Universalists from places like Burundi, Kenya, Nigeria, and the Philippines, people who have discovered UUism through their own spiritual seeking and have responded to that discovery by founding their own churches, churches devoted to a belief in freedom of thought and radical inclusion. And as I heard their stories, it made me think about those early Unitarians and Universalists like Francis David, and the struggles and, the, and their defiant struggles against cultures that told them, you can't be a religion if you let people use their reason to interpret the truth for themselves. Or you can't be a religion if you allow for diverse images of the divine. Or you can't be a religion if you believe that everybody can be saved. And the stakes for these people were so high. People were martyred, imprisoned, exiled for daring to assert that their progressive visions deserved a place in the religious story. And what I learned at that international conference in New York is that in many parts of the world today, those stakes are every bit just as high. I met a minister from Hong Kong who is the minister to the Oh, to the only openly GLBTQ-friendly church in Hong Kong. When yours is the only church that openly welcomes people of a variety of sexual identities and, and practices, then those stakes for you are really high. I met a man who's founding a Unitarian community in Nigeria, and for him it was clear that the UU values of tolerance and democracy were a direct challenge to forces of bigotry and corruption in his country. I met a man who was founding Unitarian churches in Kenya, and I asked him, what do you have to do to become a minister in Kenya, to become a Unitarian one? And he said that, well, first one has to find people who are willing to listen to you. And then you have to raise enough money to build a church, and he was doing all of these things while working full-time in another job. And here I thought I was working really hard to get ordained. I think 
that one of the challenges that UUism faces here in the United States is that many of us have forgotten how high the stakes are. But it doesn't take very long to find people here for whom our message is, in fact, a radically transformative one. The week after the ICUU conference, I traveled to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I joined nearly 1,500 Unitarian Universalists and over 20,000 activists at the Moral March in North Carolina. And I know there were a lot of UUs there, so just can I hear, was anyone here? Did anyone go, or do you know people who went? All right, glad to see it. So that, that, that rally was led by a Christian, organized by a Christian minister and president of the North Carolina NAACP named Reverend William Barber. And as we were preparing for this massive march, he told his story, which is how his parents, African Americans, had moved to North Carolina in the 1960s to work for the civil rights movement. In particular, they came to North Carolina to fight, to fight for voting rights for African Americans. Now, decades later, the current state legislature in North Carolina has started rolling back some of these laws, making it harder and harder for poor people, people of color, to actually have a vote in our democracy. And Barber said that when this started to happen and he started to get involved in this activism, his mother told him, I never believed that all that we fought for in the 1960s my children would have to fight for all over again. So Reverend Barber and all of the organizers of the Moral Mondays movement in North Carolina and the 1,500 UUs who showed up wearing Standing on the Side of Love shirts and marched, all of them understand that there is power in showing up as a religious body, power that can help to tip the scales of justice in this country. And they understand that we cannot afford to lose ground. However, it's not just at a national level, at an organizational level, that the stakes are really high for us. The stakes are also really high for many of us as individuals. The closing service of the International Council of UU's conference included a concert by the fabulous UU folk musician Peter Mayer. Between songs, he talked about his own spiritual journey. He said that even though he was raised Catholic, he discovered UUism as a young adult. However, when he did, he felt kind of angry. How could he have gone for so long without knowing that this community existed? How might his life have been better had he found us earlier? So then, how do we restake a claim to the concept of religion? Restake a claim for people who are justice-oriented, open-minded, inclusive, and believe that salvation is for everyone. For starters, we need to get ourselves, Unitarian Universalists, into the public narrative. And that means that we need to do something that we have not been very good at doing, which is telling the world that we exist. You see, that's it. That's all it takes to reframe the idea of religion in our society. That's letting society know that we are here. And yet, 
In January, I had a chance to attend a service held by a group from England called the Sunday Assembly. Maybe you've heard of them. They've been in the news quite a bit. They're a community that's founded by two comedians in London named Sanderson Jones and Pippa Evans, and it's designed to be a church-like community for atheists. On their websites, they call themselves a godless church, and they strive to be a spiritual home for atheists, humanists, and skeptics, and they have a Sunday morning service that features pop and rock music and poetry and talks. And since they began, only about a year ago, their main church in London has grown to hundreds of members, and they've started to launch some Sunday assembly communities all around the world. I met them when they were here in Cambridge as part of a world tour. They had a fun service, you know, I, I could see what the appeal of what they did was, but I, I left that service feeling kind of depressed. I have no problem with the Sunday Assembly. In fact, I think that they're great, and I think that they're serving a need out there that someone needs to, need, needs to serve. However, what I found exasperating is that many of the people who I met at their service, and all of the people who I've read quoted in newspaper articles about the Sunday Assembly, were under the impression that this is a new thing that this is the first time there has ever been a church where you can be accepted even if you don't believe in God. And the Sunday Assembly is only one year old. In one year, they have managed to get more of the world to be aware of their existence than Unitarian Universalism has done in over 200 years. The rapid growth of the Sunday Assembly in England and around the world is proof, however, that people around the world are hungry for a spiritual community that welcomes them without requiring them to believe in dogma. And it also proves that many of these people don't know about us. So ingrained is this idea that religion must always be theologically and socially conservative. But here's the good news. If two comedians in England can launch a worldwide movement in one year, I think that we too can let people know about us. If we're truly to change the common narrative about religion in America, then that change needs to take place here, in our congregations and in our individual behavior. And admittedly, this isn't always easy. There's something deeply rooted in our culture that makes it hard for us to spread the word. We don't want to seem like we're proselytizing. We don't want to seem like we're being pushy or like we're telling people what they should or shouldn't believe. But it is my hope that in my lifetime, the common narratives that we share will change. I hope that it becomes common that when I see two UUs meeting each other for the first time or meeting someone else for the First time, instead of struggling to recite the seven principles or giving a history of our movement, we will instead tell people what have the stakes been for us. We might tell them how might my life have been different had I not been raised UU? How has my life been better since I discovered this community as an adult? What is at stake for me every day? And maybe identifying the stakes for ourselves will help us to recognize other people for whom the stakes are also really high right now, but who haven't discovered us yet. Perhaps maybe haven't even heard of us yet. 
It's my hope that in my lifetime, when I go to a national event where one UU and another UU meet for the first time and they ask each other, how did you find this community that the common answer people give is I was at a time in my life when I needed something. I needed a place where I could bring my full self and identity into my faith. I needed a community that could support me when times were rough, and I needed a place where my questions were received with openness and love. And during that time, Unitarian Universalism found me. Our community and our world are full of people who need a religious community that offers many of the things that we have to offer. And for many of them, the stakes are really high. So let's go find them. Blessed be.